0: On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to be chatting about the middle class, as in, what the heck is it? There is a new cabinet minister who is in charge of the middle class, and she was asked to define the middle class, and you know what she came up with? Well, stick around and listen, because this is one doozy of a definition that I don't believe is actually translatable into the Queen's English. (laughs) I don't know what she's talking about. She doesn't either. What is the middle class, and should we have a cabinet minister directed just for this? We'll also be talking with Don Robertson, as we do every Monday, about the Ticats, about the Grey Cup, about the Leafs, about hitting from behind in hockey, about all kinds of stuff. Stick around.
1: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML.
0: I want to talk a little bit right now about Mona Fortier. Name, name mean anything to you? Any of you? Last week, when the new government was sworn in, she was named the Minister of Middle Class Prosperity. Minister of Middle Class Prosperity, which I always thought was a Monty Python skit. No, it's a real thing. Minister of Middle Class Prosperity. By the way, it is brand new, in case you're wondering if you thought, I haven't heard about that before. No, it was made up for this government. What is it exactly? Well... Some people would say it's merely a way to create some more cabinet positions to equalize the female members because we know that this government wants to do that. And that's fine. There's no uh, no shame in having equal representation. But the problem is trying to whittle down what this cabinet post actually is or does is a problem, is a challenge, because it seems no one, least of all the new cabinet minister, can explain what the heck the middle class is. Let me just read you very quickly. This is from... A story that came out, it was a a question and answer with her the day that this came out. And they said, a lot of Canadians think of themselves as the middle class. How do you define that term? Here's her answer. Well, we know we want a very strong economy for everyone. And having a strong middle class will entail the fact that we can continue to put measures and helping those that want to join in the middle class to have access to those programs. Okay. Didn't get any of that. So they asked her again. Well, I define the middle class where people feel they can afford their way of life. They have a quality of life. And then she goes on. It's having the cost of living where you can do what you want with your family. So I think it's really important we look at how we make our lives more affordable now. It, it, the answer is there is no answer. So let me bring in a good friend of ours. Marvin Ryder from the DeGroote School of Business, the person I trust most on financial issues to talk about the economy and to wade through, as uh, Norman Schwarzkopf once called it, the bovine scatology. Marvin, uh, can you do better than Madame Fortier at explaining what the middle class might be?
2: Well, I, I think I can, but, but, you know, Scott, you and I, have you been pricing Fabergé eggs <laughs> lately? They are just getting so expensive. How can I afford what I want when I are getting to that price?
0: Well, that, that, sorry to interrupt for a sec. Before you get to your answer, that was one of the most unusual parts of her answer, is that we want the middle class is those who can afford their way of life, so we want to keep it affordable, the life they want to have, so, if I want to buy a Lamborghini and I want to be able to afford it, I guess that makes me middle class by her definition.
2: Sure, absolutely. If you want to eat today and you can't afford to eat, that makes you middle class too. So, let me see if I can help you out. First, I will tell you personally, I hate the word class. Canada Good point. today in 2019 is a fairly classless society. Now, I don't mean that we're all you know, knuckle-draggers or something like this. But when you think of class, you think of Victorian England or Georgian England, where, you know, you've got the people who are upstairs and the people who are downstairs, you have classes. We really don't have classes like that. So I would prefer, they said, middle income. I think that starts to get you a better definition. Now, let me help you here in Hamilton. Do you have any idea, Scott Radley, do you have any idea what the median, the midpoint family income in Hamilton is?
0: I'm going to guess at 75000
2: Well, then you'd be guessing just a little bit low. In 2017, it was $92,000.
0: Fa- that's the family income. That's a family okay. income. Yep.
2: A household income, uh, perhaps mom, dad, or two adults, and some number of kids or some combination thereof. Now, that's an aggregate across the entire society, so that would include single-parent pa- uh, single families and maybe where a-, a grandparent is living. You put it all together... $92,000. Here's a second question for you. Who has it better, people in Hamilton or people in Toronto? Uh,
0: with the same income? Yeah. I mean, if you're 92000 in Toronto, you're probably low income almost, If whereas in Hamilton, certain parts of Hamilton, you'd probably be doing okay. Well,
2: let me try it a different way. What I meant was, is their income in Toronto, their median income, higher or lower than Hamilton?
0: Oh, I would assume it's higher.
2: Well, guess what? It's lower. It's $83,000 is the median income. Hamilton's median income is much better at the 92000 and less for fun, just compare it to Oakville. Any idea what Oakville's median income is?
0: Well, theirs has to be higher. I'll go with hundred.
2: Yeah. Well, add another 50000 to that, and you're closer. It's about $150,000 in Oakville. So, obviously, the what is middle income varies by city. So what we tend to do is this. If you wanted to find middle income, Take uh, your town, in this case, Hamilton, $92,000, and middle income is from 75% of that total, so around, let's say, $70,000, to 200% of that total. If you double it, make it 185000 Somewhere in that range is where the middle income people are. So why is Justin Trudeau creating a ministry of this, and why in the last election was everybody talking about the middle income or the middle class people, this group of people here, stuck, quote, in the middle, generally speaking, find it year over year a little hard to make ends meet. I've got my mortgage payments. I'm raising the kids. Maybe one of them's going off to university. I've got tuition. Of course, there's the car payments. And I got the dog and I got the cat and all those sorts of things. So, the concern of anyone who wants to get elected is you want to have a strong middle income group of people. You want people to feel like there's a reason to aspire not just to middle income, but to expire beyond that. But if, if life is too hard for you, then, then you're not going to want to aspire. So this is why everyone is talking about these middle income people and how we can make their life a little bit better.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
0: We are talking with Marvin Ryder about middle class. There is a new cabinet minister that was sworn in last week, the Minister of Middle Class Prosperity, which it does sound like a ridiculous name. And Marvin, just before the break there, you were explaining the middle class. And does it concern you while you are a great communicator, and that's why we love having you on here, and while you are able to navigate your way around the world of economics easily, which is why we love having you on here, but that you were able very clearly and very concisely to lay out a definition of middle class and the woman, the, ma- the cabinet minister, male or female, the cabinet minister in charge of this can't do it?
2: Well, it doesn't concern me as much as you might think for a couple of reasons. First, I, I've given you that definition, but i it do, it's not going to come back to haunt me. So in other words, if you earn, have a household income of $65,000, I've just in essence called you lower class. And you go, hey, 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 I, I, I resent that remark. You know, I'm going to remember that at the ballot box. Well, I'm not running for anything. So I can come up with that clear definition and exclude some people without any fear of, of anyone coming back to me. So if I'm Whoever I am in charge of government, I always want a definition that's as all-encompassing and gets everybody into the tent. But here's the other reason why I'm not concerned. As you quickly pointed out, this is a ministry that didn't exist a month ago. It's been created. And so why has it been created? Well, I think Mr. Trudeau wants to do two things. First, he wants to thank most of the 905, the area around Toronto, for electing him. Those writings all said we think our future is going to be better with the Liberals than with the Conservatives, so we're going to give you our vote. And most of those uh, ridings are fairly middle-class ridings. so he wants to say, I hear you, and I'm going to do something for you. He doesn't know what that is, and so he's appointed a minister and he's told her go out and come up with some ideas some programs that we can do maybe there are some things we can do that won't cost us money a great example that would maybe be doing something around car insurance or cell phone bills which middle class people always complain about but it doesn't require the government to do anything on the other hand maybe it is us implementing some kind of a tax cut or giving you a tax credit for doing something, which does have a cost, but come up with something so that in four years or whenever the expiration date hits this minority government, I can go out to people and say, not only did I hear your pain, but here are some things I did to make your pain better. And that's what her marching orders are.
0: But does it make it an impossible task? As you just pointed out very clearly that different places, so... The $100,000 that may be uh, middle class somewhere in PEI would be a lavish or very high quality of living in some parts of the Maritimes or wherever else that are struggling. It, it almost It's such a moving target that it seems like it would be a very difficult thing to come up with programs that are going to hit all these areas.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I also say that another way. Whenever you draw a line and say, okay, uh, take, take a great example, is old age security. That's not a pension. You and I never paid into it. It's a, a grant program the government gives to try to get some seniors who've not saved very much money out of poverty. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I'm a richer person. I'm certainly middle class, if not upper middle class. I'm never going to get a dollar from old age security because they means test it. They draw a line in the sand and they say, if your income is over this, guess what? You don't get old age security. Well, there's always great debate about where you draw that line in the sand. So whatever Mr. Trudeau is going to do to help, quote, the middle class, whether it's a child tax credit or something about car ownership or switching over to more green technologies or whatever it is, there's always going to complain, hey, that's not, that didn't help me. There's nothing in it for me. Where's my little piece of the pie? And that's, that's the challenge whenever you do this. you either uh, Normally you try to help everybody, but the minute you say, well, I'm going to focus on them, so I'm not really going to focus on the lower class. I'm not going to focus on the upper class just the middle, then people start debating who should be in and who should be out of the boat.
0: And you just said something a moment ago that is so unusual because people don't say what you just said, and I credit you for doing it. You said, you know, I may be upper class. People blanch at the idea of being called upper class or blanch at the idea of being called lower class. So I'm looking at this almost like saying, well, you know what, it's a great PR ministry because everybody wants to believe they're in the middle class.
2: Right. Nobody wants to say differently. Now, I'll say candidly as well, my background, my mother was a stay-at-home mom. My father worked shift work, um, and we would have been classed as lower-class individuals. My mother made my clothes growing up. She canned goods and put them away for the winter. We froze things. Uh, so on and so forth. I never saw it as a poor way of living. I never saw it as an as a underclassed way of living. We were very content with what we had. To go back to the minister's definition, we were very happy. We could afford everything we wanted. We just didn't want the world. And another funny thing about this class structure or this income structure, the more you have, the more you want. Mm. So where before taking one vacation to Disney World once in your lifetime, That will make me eternally happy. Well, once you've done it once, it's, all I'd like to go back in two years. I'd like to go every year. Maybe I should have a home in Orlando. And our, our needs and wants escalate the more we have. And that's another problem they have in doing this. But I think I'm going to look at the glass half full. If this minister can deliver something that makes everyone's life in the middle class, whatever that is, a little bit better, she'll be very successful.
0: Last thing, and, and to go back to that quote, by the way, that you're just alluding to, It's here's her quote, it's having the cost of living where you can do what you want with your family. Well, that if that's the definition, we may all be in trouble because that means I can just like wiggle my nose like in, you know, the, the bewitch, thank you, I was trying to remember the show, and boom, it's there, uh, that doesn't work. Um, we only have a few seconds left, but sh- wouldn't it be more sensible in our society? I'm not asking you to be political to be putting more ministers into helping the people who are the lower class people, if we want to call it. Isn't that where government attention should be on bringing the people out of poverty?
2: Yeah, and and bless you for saying that, Scott. You're absolutely correct, but guess what? There are no votes in it. You remember a year ago, a little over a year ago, when we elected Doug Ford, one of Doug Ford's first things was to cancel that guaranteed income program that was helping people rise up out of poverty. It was giving people a chance to go back to school, do something better for themselves, but he canceled it, and many people applauded. Yeah, yeah, get those people. Get those bums off. I don't want that coming out of my tax dollars. It, it, oddly enough, from societal woes, helping the lower class is the most important thing we can do, but there are no votes in it.
0: Marvin Ryder from the DeGroot School of Business. We always love having you on. Thanks for your time.
2: Glad to be here, Scott.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900CHML. Let
0: me bring in Don Robertson, owner and operator of the Dundas Real McCoys, uh, the guy who runs ComChoice Realty, and a man whose resume, other than that, is very long, and we won't go into all of it because some of it's even legal. Not much. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. <laughs> it's fun to be here. Uh, so far. So many things I want to get to today because we had the Great Cup yesterday. Big disappointment. Uh, you know, we're not going to go into all the stuff about the nuts and bolts of the Great Cup. People have had lots of time, they've had 24 hours. By this time, it's 7:10. 24 hours ago by now, you already knew things were going downhill fast for the Ticats. We've, we've had full 24 hours. By the way, if you're calling in with the answer and the lines are ringing, uh, hang with it. Ben, there's a bunch of lines ringing right now. They'll get to you as fast as they can. If for some reason you get dumped off the line, sometimes the line will do that. It'll just dump you. Call back. we got time. I promise. Just keep calling. We will get to you. Um, a lot of things, though, I want to get to about this. And number one on the list, the Thai cats were largely... Defeated yesterday by Andrew Harris, who's the running back for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, won the most outstanding player of the game, won the best Canadian out of the game, all that kind of stuff. He had a terrific, terrific game. This is the guy, though, keep in mind that earlier this year had a couple game suspension for performance enhancing supplements. He had some sort of failed drug test and violated the league's ban. He had a quote. He says, "Um, to everyone who kicked me when I was down, you know where to stick it. And I'm listening to this going, look, uh, I understand that he is happy with winning the championship. But where is in certain athletes the understanding that people who were criticizing you for blowing the drug protocol and doing something you're not supposed to do were fully within their rights to do that because we want that stuff out of the game and, and turning that into saying, if you criticize me, you were a hater? I, I, I this is this to me is an athlete a great athlete no question but who is completely missing the point
3: agreed he um by by doing that and with that kind of attitude you're kind of thumbing your nose at the fact that you were suspended this year and some didn't even think you should have been playing in this game yes and that well probably lots of cat fans right now thinking he shouldn't have been playing well, in that game, but wishing. for different reasons. Yeah. But the reality is that's a great opportunity for a young athlete to be humble and say, you know, I'm grateful to the organization. I made a mistake, and I couldn't be happier to be here today, and have won a great cup of Winnipeg. Thank you very much. Right? I mean, there's two routes to go. Um I didn't expect him to apologize. To believe, it's hard to believe that you can still be that bitter after just winning the Grey Cup. I didn't expect him to apologize. I thought he would just let
0: this thing slide through without bringing it back up and just being excited about winning and everything else. Why why bring that up again and bring it to the fore again and make everybody be reminded that you were a guy who got busted for by definition being a drug cheat.
3: Yeah. And but again, it it almost seems like he poo pooed it and it didn't matter. Like you know, I saw so I got suspended for a couple of games and I came back and I was. I a showed you the game. I showed you. Now that's maybe not the approach the CFL would want him to take. But again, you just read a quote, and I don't have the knowledge to know under what context he spit that out. Like. Did they say, are you really happy about winning the uh, Grey Cup? Are you really happy about being MVP of the g- Grey Cup? And he spits that out? Or are you grateful to be here after being suspended for drug use? Like, it, it, it you know what I mean? Like, when you just... That's the trouble when you just look at a snapshot of it and you really don't know where it came. I mean, it's not a great answer no matter what. There is a high road to take, and he chose not to, uh, again, travel the road, uh, the road less traveled. So here, here's a quote. Here's a bigger quote
0: uh, from him after the game. A longer quote. To everyone who kicked me while I was down, you know where to stick it, said the 32-year-old Blue Bombers running back. There's been a lot of negative attention about what has gone on, and for me to accomplish that That's for everyone who wrote an article, said something on Twitter, or said anything to anyone. I wanted to come out here and play my best game. I was able to do that today. So if you criticized a guy for failing a drug test, which I think most people want that stuff out of sports, and most people look at that and say, yeah, if you're doing it, we want you to be busted for that. We want those people. I guarantee you that if this was someone on another team, some of his teammates would have had something to say about it. Well, For sure. And for so sure. now he's saying no, no one should have written about it, should have tweeted about it. Nobody should have said a thing. Anyone who said anything, you were out of line. Look, I showed you.
3: Yeah. Um, for being suspended for a couple games, it was ironic that Lawrence was playing against Claris again. And I'm pretty sure that the Ticats win, that Lawrence doesn't bring that up. And say, for all you guys in Hamilton that dumped on me because of the hit on Claris. You'd like to think you wouldn't. Just let it go. I would hope you would. Just let it
0: go. Yeah. Take the high road. And even if you're asked about it, right? If if Andrew Harris had even been asked about this, said, hey, what does this say about the people who were critical of you? Say, that's in the past. We won the great cup today. I'm thrilled that I've been able to play the way I did today and be a champion. Clearly, he's carrying a chip on his shoulder. What I don't understand, and why I bring this up, what I don't understand is he was the one who somehow, whatever the reason is, he was the one who got himself suspended. To the best of what I've read and what I've seen, nobody held him down against his will with a gun to his head and injected something into him. So he somehow put. Is that what it was, performance enhancing? Well, it was, it failed the, uh, he failed the drug test. He, he was. Um, There's all kinds of drug tests. Two, he had a two game suspension for a positive drug test. Of what? I can't remember what the stuff, what, what it was now. But he failed okay. he, he failed a yeah. league drug test. Yeah. And the CFL and, and there's only one guy you blame for that. There's only one guy. And even if, first of all, I'm so fatigued by athletes who get caught all saying, I didn't take anything, or it was in a supplement. I, we, we talked about this at the time, I think, you and I. The simple answer to this, there's one incredibly simple answer to this point. Athletes are pretty good about knowing what they're taking. So let's say that Don, you're a high level athlete, takes a little imagination, but let's just say you were, and you were taking a supplement called Bobby Joe's muscle mass. All right. If you were taking this stuff, presumably you're going to have that container or something in the house. You simply say, tell you what, here's the container. Here's what I was taking you test that and if in fact the stuff that you got busted for is in the mix that you're taking you can then turn to the CFL the league and say look it's a mistake on my part all right i take responsibility cuz i didn't do my proper investigation but it's an honest mistake because look it's right in the powder here that i was taking and it doesn't say it on the bottle yeah that's that's and then then it's an innocent error and everyone and even if you have to accept your suspension because you did put it in your body without doing the due diligence, I think everybody would say... I, I. On this one, you cut them some slack. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. difference. But if you don't do that, I don't think you have the right to start teeing off on other people for having been critical of you, because I think we should
3: be critical of people who failed drug tests in sports. Well, there's two options, right? You, you, you ban uh, performance-enhancing drugs like almost all... Um, leagues have done or you open it up and we've had that conversation before you can win olympic gold medal you can do whatever you want to your body you're going to die when you're 30. you make the choice and so right you either kick the door wide open or you do what they're doing and i think doing what they're doing is the right way to go of course it is of course it is. and how would the bombers
0: or any other team have responded if they were facing another team and they all showed up and they were all jacked up on some something and they lost. Would they not be saying, "We want to test those guys"? That's there's something not right there. Well, it looked like the
3: looked like the bombers were all on something yesterday. Well, or or the TyCats took some adrenaline. Adren- <laughs> I was going to say
0: Xanax or so or some sort of sleeping pill. I don't know if it was Xanax, a Xanax is sleeping pill. Whatever it is, some sort of they they, they did not Mus- look muscle like relaxant. Yeah, something, something or a lax- or a laxative. <laughs> I don't think that was the issue. Maybe it was. I don't know. Don't hit me hard, <laughs> like Brophy and slap Don't hit me hard. Uh, anyway, I just I look. I I was imp- I was totally impressed with Andrew Harris yesterday. The guy played an unbelievably great game. I just hate that he puts the icing like this on top of it because to me this is bush league and it's unnecessary. And it diminishes the problem of drugs and sports. We want them that's, out. That's my point. We want them out and we want people to be critical
3: of people who do it. That He's, that approach almost goes poo-poo on the fact that I had a suspension and it doesn't really matter. Well, it does It look, does matter. Look what I overcame. And you should do something good out of that. He, yep. I mean, he didn't, he didn't overcome an aneurysm. No, but when he, even when he says, look
0: what I overcame or says it in so many words. Poor guy. You only overcame what you caused yourself. You threw, the own, you threw the obstacle in front of yourself. You were deemed a cheater and you overcame that. Good for you. I, I, I say, I, it's, not a, it's not a knock on Andrew Harris, the athlete. He's a terrific athlete and he had a terrific game. Just shut it down and win with a little bit of class and a little dignity and take your lump for the lump that you deserved yeah. and on you go.
1: You're listening to The Scott Radley Show Podcast on 900 CHML.
0: Uh, Before we just move on from the last bit of the Grey Cup, Don, I do have one more thing about the uh, Don Robertson in studio. Do you believe in football karma, football gods, those kind of things? Do you believe that things actually come back around, and I'm, I'm wondering about the Simone Lawrence shot on Zach Caleros in the first game of the year, third play of the season, Caleros bounces around, ends up with the Bombers, and then ends up winning the game. Are, are you a guy who goes, yeah, that makes sense? Or do you go, oh, that's a weird coincidence? Yeah,
3: no, no, that crosses my mind all the time. There's always a way, whether it's a guy that was going to play for you and decides to, you know, gives you his word, and then his word isn't worth anything, and you get a chance to beat him in the playoffs. Uh, I don't know if it was karma, but it what it does, I think, is it gives a guy like Claros a little extra push. And the way he left Hamilton, he had the job and then lost it to injury. And a lot of guys will argue you can't lose your job to injury, but he seemingly did. And then he gets whacked the first game in Hamilton. Do you think Claros wasn't motivated to go, you know, if I'm going to have a good game, this is not a bad time to have one? Yeah, I. I... I don't know what to make.
0: I, I don't think Zach Caleros was overly special in this game. That's the, that's the funny part about it. It's not like Zach yeah. Caleros won this game for Winnipeg. He didn't lose the game for them.
3: No, he, was, he had a solid game. He but had a he solid was not, game. Uh, yeah.
0: it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't Kyle Quinlan in the 2011 Vanier Cup where he wins the game with a million yards of passing and a million yeah. more rushing. He was, just, he was good. He didn't cost them the game. exactly, And that's how the game was determined. But I do wonder behind the scenes. In part. If that was ever said, if anything about that was ever said, or if it ever crossed any of the other players' mouths about, keep that in mind. Or if that scene was ever oh shown, that
3: would have been talked about. There's a lot of breakfast, a lot even of though time it wasn't together. that team. Even though it was when he was with Saskatchewan, and this yep. is Winnipeg. Sure, because guys look for something to rally around, right? I mean, there's I mean, football team. There's an army of guys, and you gotta you gotta think that it come up in a couple conversations. You know, we want to get even even for Zach. And so guys motivate themselves in different ways. And if that was part and parcel of how some of the, the Bombers players tried to motivate themselves to, to win it for Zach or help him get revenge or whatever it is, I mean, sure. Because as a coach, as a player, when you go into a single game knockout and you have to win it, you really don't care where the motivation comes from as long as it's coming from somewhere. And they look pretty motivated to me. All right, that was a cheap shot.
0: I mean, the Simone Lawrence on Zach Klairs. I want to talk about another cheap shot. I want to switch sports and talk about another cheap shot. don't know if you saw the game on the weekend where the Maple Leafs played against Colorado. And it was an odd situation because Alex Kerfoot, who's one of the two guys who had been on Colorado last year, along with... Um, Come over in the
3: Cadre trade
0: with cadre Barry. Cadre trade, and, yeah, Tyson Barry. Uh, delivers just a horrible check, a cross-check from behind that sends... Um, uh, Eric Johnson, almost headfirst into the boards. And every time I see these things, I just flinch because one of these years, Don, I hate to say it, but one of these yep. years, something horrible is going to happen. And what I just don't understand, and if anyone hasn't seen it, you can go online, you can see it if you want to watch it. Basically, the Johnson was skating back for the puck towards the end boards and Kerfoot from about 10 feet out gives him a cross check in the back and sends him hurtling, as I say, almost head first into the boards.
3: It's it, It's... It's the helpless way they go in that I think is the most disturbing part, right?
0: And the angle, and one of the, as I say, one of these times the guy's going to go in right with the crown of his head. They're and, not going to get up. And knowing that, and, and why I say it was an odd one is because Kerfoot had played on this team and apparently is very good friends with Eric Johnson, which mm-hmm. seems to be why the other his the Colorado teammates didn't beat the living pulp out of him at that moment because you saw them grab him and then they didn't throw any punches. What what has to happen for hockey players to suddenly get it through their head that when a guy's vulnerable like that, you can't do it? Or is it going to take someone being paralyzed or being killed before they really get it out of the game and they really go, I just
3: can't hit a guy like that? Somebody dying will slow it down. You would hope. But um, there was a young fellow that that, that was in a fight in our league uh, a number of years ago. And uh, his helmet came off. Mac- he McIntosh? Ma- Sanderson. Sanderson, right. And uh, ended up passing away a, a few days later. And you would think, I mean, it really brought a pale across our league. and But there's, you know, they're still fighting in hockey. That was a big deal. That was a very big deal in the National Hockey League and everywhere else. Uh, As but it should have been. Yes. But it didn't stop fighting. And the the best way to do it, is doing what they're doing now. And I would suspect now, because my timing won't be perfect on this, that uh, legendary radio guy, Bob McCown and Don Sherry, wanted stop put on the back of the sweaters for players so that the kids would stop doing that. When you see the stop sign, you don't run a guy. And those are on kids' hockey sweaters all over Canada. All over Canada. And once that era get to the National Hockey League, you would think that that would happen. But again, it's the fastest game in the world. Things happen very quickly. You do something like that and you go, holy crap. But Kerfoot should be in that age group. He's well, I, a young guy. He I should be one of those people. I think so. He should have, which is, which, which. So you look at the bad part of that. You look at that and think, boy, that guy was lucky. He's not going to miss a game. Nothing bad came of it, but. You're talking about Johnson. Cause Kerfoot got a two game suspension today for it. Right. Yeah. Johnson, Johnson yeah. wasn't hurt. Right. Um. Carfoot got a two game suspension that's maybe light based on the st. Louis suspension uh, another incident this week again it's not light um, maybe that's why we don't see as much of it like there is far maybe. less of it than we have seen in the past well also can you eradicate it from the game I don't think anything can also you see less
0: of it I think because you now have the the new icing rules so you don't have a race to the puck in the end where yep. it, so there, there are things I I simply don't understand what Kerfoot was thinking. And that's, that's the part about this, that it, it's not, it was not a body check. It wasn't two guys who were fighting for position and one lost his balance and went in. It was a cheap, unnecessary shove from behind that I just, I can't fathom that you could come up in hockey now
3: and do that and think, even for a split second, that's a good idea. Well, I, th- I, I think where you gave credit where credit may not be due, was when you said, I don't know what he was thinking. I don't think he was thinking, really. There you go. But that's... but That's the issue. And you have to be cognizant. You have to be thinking at all times. Now, I haven't seen the play. I've heard all about it. But sometimes you'll give a guy a shot if he's going to cut, and you'll give him a shot, so it's not likely going to create an awful lot of damage. And that's still done on a fairly regular basis, just trying to push the guy out of the way your timing has to be perfect and bad things come from poor decisions but if you're skating straight towards the end board so the guy's on a t
0: angle to it you're coming in yep. at a 90 degree angle and he's got nowhere to go and you give him a push from behind there can only be one one result well there can be two results nothing happens in which case the guy just skates through it yeah but you're not putting him off the puck or two you're launching him into the boards Neither one of those was going to give an advantage, yeah. which is again, why I'm looking going, how do you how do you have come up through, and it's not just him, but this is just the example today. How yes. do you have come up through hockey and played with the rules that you're played with? In, I mean, in kids, if you had done this in a minor hockey game, it's probably a five game suspension on first offense. I can't remember what the new rules are now, but if they're really strict about this, which they should be really yes. strict about this. I just I I'm amazed that you can still have guys in the NHL at the speed it's going, knowing what can happen. Well, that's, that's they had the girl, they had the, the the female player a few years ago in the outdoor game, and was it Boston, I think, who went headfirst into the boards and she's paralyzed. Yeah, and you know, I like I I hate dawn the fact that we talk about the fact that it may need to come to that. What a horrible thing to have to need to
3: have to happen to clean this up out of the game. Well it, every time it happens you know that that's one of the possibilities of the result. Whether and 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 some of the things you shake your head at is the referee kind of looks at things and nobody was hurt so I guess we're maybe okay here. Right? I mean it doesn't happen very often, but I mean I never think that the suspension of the penalty should be based anything at all. On the fact that the guy didn't break his bloody neck when he went into the boards, because it was no good work by Kerfoot that prevented it. It was good well, fortune. I always say when you when you see a high stick and a guy tries to take a chop at a guy and misses him, you still he's only guilty of bad aim. Yeah. He was trying to kill the guy, not kill him, but you know what I mean. He was trying to maim the guy, and he missed. The suspension should be the same. I've heard hockey guys argue, yeah, but he didn't even hit him. Well, that was just fortunate.
0: Yeah, the I guy, get-
3: the guys had a bet. he he didn't try and miss him. He's guilty of intent. I don't know how
0: in the NHL, again, Kerfoot got two minutes for this. How you don't have minimum minimum Don, five minutes major and then a game misconduct for that is beyond me. And again it's got nothing to do with the it's well, the Leafs or whatever
3: else. It is in Hockey Canada. You're gone for the game. And oh, if it's oh, a five absolutely. minute major I think there's subsequent uh, discipline as well. But like there are people I know who are
0: saying, I'm a leaf fan. I'm glad it didn't come. i am glad it wasn't five minutes because that could have changed the game. Sure, it could have. But this could have changed a person's life, <laughs> that's right. And I just I, I'm with you. I, I've never understood why the penalty is dependent upon the in level of injury or non-injury because it's got nothing it's got very little to do with with that. If you slew foot someone and they fall and smash their head and are go into a coma, You'll get an enormous penalty. If you slew foot them and they fall back and bang their head, you get five minutes, but then everyone forgets about it. And it's like, what was the difference? What now, was the difference?
3: Now, I don't want to dig too deep into this, but I, I think there may, in fact, be a mindset with a new coach that playing with a bit of an edge... Is something that we're going to have to employ a little bit more. Not like this, though. This is no, I, I know, but but when if 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 if, if uh, keep is drilling that into their heads, you know, we've got to be a little harder to play against than we have been, and some guys aren't really equipped to know exactly what that means, cadre plays like that. But you know, so I'll just get a little more physical, and I don't know if that's. I'm not trying to just any, justify anything because you can't do that. And I, I I'll go back to my like if 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 that's the
0: case. If Keith is if Sheldon Keith is saying we have to be more physical and you are a player on the team who
3: interprets that to mean you do this to a guy, you've completely missed the yeah, point of course you have. entirely. But I'm saying if that's not the style you you play at all and there's not many Leafs that play that way, that there's going to be an adjustment period in a definition of, you know, like apparently that's not what he meant by playing on the edge trying to kill a guy. And he didn't try and kill him.
0: No, but, but and just well he didn't try to, but he could have and that's the yeah. problem. And I just had this discussion with someone the other day. We were sitting around having a coffee and they asked a question of uh, injuries on the ice. And my answer to this always is there is a level of activity, a level of risk when you step on the ice that you understand that there is a chance you could have a horrible injury happen to you. You could stop a puck with your mouth. You could break a leg. You could blow at your knee. Any, But that... Risk and that acceptance of that risk always comes with the idea that the other players will play within the confines of the rules and that risk exists within those rules. But then there are people who go way outside what is the accepted behavior. And I think this was one of those things. And I don't think he should have got two games for this. Sorry, Leaf fans. I think he should have got five minimum for this. And I think he should have got five in a game in the game for this. This is the kind of thing... Well, First time someone dies or is paralyzed on, we're going to look back at all the times that this has happened or something similar and said,
3: why would we? Ne- why was the NHL never harder on this? What's always interesting? There's always interesting things involved in these things. But if he dislocates his shoulder and he's out six weeks, is suspension any different? Probably. No, he probably gets four. I know, but again, it, the. It's the intent of the act, not the result of the act, exactly. that should be determining how they do it. So, exactly, based on your analogy, a two-game suspension is not the biggest deterrent. It's no deterrent. That's like that's like having the uh, impaired driving suspension two weeks for your first shot. You know, we're only going to spend a guy two weeks. I mean, he was hammered, but you know, he'll learn from this. And he didn't hit anyone. He yeah, didn't run anybody over. Right. I mean, that's. That. Not by good planning,
0: just by good luck. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm uh, we got to go to break, but imagine for a second, because again, we're in leaf country. Imagine with, you know, things are just turning around. There's all this excitement about the new leafs and everything. Imagine if this had been done to Morgan Riley and Riley had broken his shoulder or something and been out for yeah. that. Imagine what the, what the hue and cry
3: would have been if you then said, oh, okay, he's got three games. He's got four games. It would have been, like, he should be 25. He's, he should be out just as long as Riley's going to be out. And
0: one last thing before we go to break. What if, thank goodness it didn't happen, what if Eric Johnson had been paralyzed? What do you think the suspension would have been? Ten games. You think that's it? Yep. No, if he'd been paralyzed, I think he might have got half a season. They might have. They might have lost their minds, In for them, lost their minds, I mean, and said, okay, it's a 30-game suspension.
3: Maybe. Again, we're back to... The result of the action not exactly the action. exactly
0: and so what was the difference
3: what good, was the difference good luck
0: nothing to do with the yep. offense sheer luck and that's the difference between two games and 20 or 25 or 30 games and it's nothing to do with the offender again it's not about hating alex Turfoot. I don't hate Alex Kerfoot but you can't do this kind of stuff
1: you're listening to the Scott Radley show podcast on 900 CHML
0: Did you hear the story about Mike Babcock today that's been going around?
3: I did. I haven't heard all the details to put it into context.
0: So so. Babcock has responded. So Elliot Friedman is on Twitter and writing this and other people. So it seems like it's a true story. Basically, the story is that back when Mitch Marner was a rookie, he pulled him aside and asked him to make a list of the hardest working to least hardest working players on the team. And now Babcock in Twitter to Elliot Friedman says it was a, an exercise to try and teach Mitch Marner about work ethic and it was a bad idea and I apologize the time, but the reason it went to be a bad idea is because then the story goes, Babcock went in front of the whole team and says, Marner says to Kadri you're the laziest guy on the team. So he made Marner do this. And then he hung him out to dry in front of his teammates, which, you know, kind of like being the class snitch. The question is twofold here. One is, I don't know that it's a good coaching move or not. It doesn't sound like it. It doesn't sound like it's something that's going to win over your, your players as a fan of yours, because Marner seemed to skate scot-free out of this one because I think the other players looked at him and went, he had to do it. He said, <laughs> he's a kid. But it, when a coach is fired... This is more of the question. When a coach is fired, what is fair game? Like, is it at that point, is it fair game for all the things that they've ever done to be aired out? Because you always hear, you know, guys say what happens in the dressing room stays in the dressing room, but it doesn't seem like that's the case when a coach is gone. Is it, is it okay to then air out all the coach's laundry or should the players hold the coach at his actions or his behaviors the same way they hold other guys' actions in the dressing room?
3: Did it leak out through the dressing room?
0: got out somehow. I mean, look, it was in the dressing room, so it had to have come out from the dressing room.
3: Don't know who from the dressing yeah. room. Well, last week, last Monday night, I said to you that I think he's in trouble because he, the players are quit listening to him. And that is just one of the building blocks that starts to undermine a coach. So if you're a veteran player in there and you're going, he's taking advantage of Mitch Marner, who's a rookie or a young guy, and exploiting him and now hanging him out to dry what that to me suggests that, that, that the coach actually thinks the rest of the team is now with him and not with Marner and when you get to that perspective you're really in big trouble because those guys in that room will unless you're a real bad apple and there's no evidence Marner is uh, they'll stick with him. They'll stick with him and always stick with him. And then they're going to say, who's he thrown under the bus next? We can't trust him. And when you can't trust your coach, you're in big trouble. So whenever that happened, I'll guarantee you that that was one of the first steps that this thing was never going to work long-term. Okay. And I agree with
0: what you just said, but the follow-up question is when the coach is fired... Is it fair game for the players to start telling the, st- the stories that happened with that coach? They may have agreed or may have disagreed, or do you have an obligation or a, uh, I don't even know what the word is, not an obligation, but is it, is it fair to say, you know what, that happened behind closed doors, that was part of our team stuff, we just leave that there. Can you air out all the
3: laundry when the guy's gone now? I don't think anybody's ever going to air out all the laundry, but the mere fact that that comes out starts indicating the amount of respect they had for the coach. Like lots of times players will take it, you know, this is on us, we'll work harder, poor guy lost his job, everybody loves him. Like there are coaches that get fired in the National Hockey League that the players really do feel bad for because they quite like the coach. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll find that if a room has tremendous respect for their coach, those things don't leak out. There's a reason that leaked out. Somebody's trying to get their pound of flesh. Somebody's trying to get even. Somebody's trying to say, you know, this is this is why we weren't having fun. I mean, I don't know what the rationale was, but I can tell you if they had tremendous respect, that wouldn't have happened. Scotty Bowman, by all accounts, was never invited over to a player's dinner for Christmas because they didn't like the way he coached. They just liked the fact that they always had a chance to win a Stanley Cup when they played for him. And I can't think of one time when Scotty Morris or uh, Scotty Bowman left a, a hockey team where that kind of crap come out. Now, we don't have social media back then. I get that, but I think it just speaks volumes to what some of the players actually thought.
0: I think you raised something really interesting. I would have loved to have seen how social media would have... Been back in the Scotty Bowman Montreal Canadiens days, or the Fred Shiro broads. See, I think Fred Shiro with the Philadelphia Flyers. There was a guy who it seemed like every player loved him, loved him, would have run through a brick wall for him. Scotty Bowman, flip side, another winner. But as you're, you're right. Every report you ever, every story you hear
3: was how much they hated him, except for the fact that when they lifted the Stanley Cup, they all gave him a hug. I know, yeah, I know some guys who played. For a guy that used to be on Saturday night after the first intermission in Boston, and nobody says a bad word about Don Sherry as a coach, so there's a guy that left for whatever the reasons that the players love them. Like they're not everybody's going to have the odd story about you know he benched me and I I was playing well you know I mean there's going to be those little things. This is far different. This is a calling out of a guy, and when Babcock, who you just read, said I had to apologize afterwards. Like, when was the last time you heard Mike Babcock apologize for anything? And so, again, though, I You know why? He likes coaching in the National Hockey League. This is not something... It's not a badge of honor when that kind of stuff gets out, where there's a whole bunch of guys going, you know what, in Tampa, uh, John... um, Cooper. Cooper. You know, there's a bunch of players in in Tampa going, well, I hope that isn't the alternative. If Coop's going to get fired, we better fire things up because... We don't want a coach like that around. This thing has a lot of ramifications that will follow it. When your players do that, when you walk out the door, there's some GMs sitting around and some coaches sitting around going, oh, crap, Mike Babcock's available now. He'll be the first pick here. And then that story comes out. Players are pretty smart. That is not a ringing endorsement of Mike Babcock at all. when he's leaving. Not at all. And it's a betraying of players' trust and everything else. I mean, I it's not... Not what you want when you walk out the door.
0: I'm I'm not defending Babcock in this one because I think it, it sounds like a a real smarmy move to do. To be honest, but I do go back to my question, and that is, you hear all the time players say, "What happened in the dressing room stays with the guys in the dressing room." That's that's amongst the players.
3: So well, I know that,
0: that bond is a player bond. I understand that, but you, I don't remember ever hearing a coach. When a player gets traded or a player gets cut or sent down or anything, the coach then coming out and talking to the media about something that happened in the dressing room and bad mouthing the player. I just, I, like, this is, it's unusual to me because I don't recall hearing this before. I really don't. There, I'm sure there were coaches that have been fired that players have had some things to say, but generally they keep their mouth shut because of what you said. Everyone's got another job down the road. We don't want to screw the guy up. We didn't like him, but we're not going to try and ruin him. Here, maybe Babcock was that bad a dude. But, I mean, here it looks like there are people who want to make sure that he is not just out of work with the Leafs, but ruined. Somebody wants a pound of flesh, don't Yes. Us? They sh- it, it absolutely looks like it. And I don't remember... See- can you think of another coach that went out and had people blasting him for stuff he did as his... Whether you agreed or disagree with this, and again, it sounds ridiculous, but I- it was... Clearly he
3: thought it was a way to motivate a player. It looks okay. like a stupid so, way, but... So here... Here's here's one of the ways that I think. That, here's one of the ways I would judge it. Nobody else has to do this. Um, let's find out who rallies to his defense. And if there's a cone of silence coming out of the dressing room, and nobody's saying it was just a one-off, it was nobody's nobody was worried about it. But if there's if all you hear is
0: nothing, yeah, but if all you hear is nothing, that could also be. Uh, I'm not, again not defending the guy, but that could also be the other players who might have defended him saying, I don't want to make this go on any longer and create a a schism between the other players and me.
3: The only guy that's ever come out consistently against him is Mike Commodore, Mm -hmm. who's not happy with him. Said he, like the stuff he says about him is unbelievable. But if if nobody defends him and, and, and quasi tries to defend him, I think it speaks volumes.
0: It's an interesting one. Don't recall seeing this kind of thing happening very often, if at all, with someone player or coach leaving, I just don't. I mean, you occasionally say, there's oh, always
3: a player or two that are always happy to see a guy go. Of course, there's always the odd one. I don't see that. But as, they rarely throw the laundry. They may just say, "I it's I'm glad." Because for a they're fresh worried start. about their job. If they badmouth the coach, I it may cost me my position. And uh, so, if somebody's prepared to do this, what's it tell you? And well, the other thing is, coaches bounce
0: around, players bounce around. Yeah, I ripped Don Robertson, but while he gets fired, and then suddenly I'm traded to a team that Don's coaching in two years. Yeah, how's my career looking? Circling the drain.
1: The Scott Radley Show weekday evenings from six to eight on nine hundred CHML.